एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं सुपरवुमन She has always made the most unconventional career choices a woman can make from doing engineering in a male dominated field to joining a career in sales to eventually quitting the corporate world to start up her food tech venture Fresh Menu Join Akshaytat in this fascinating conversation with Rashmi Daga founder of Fresh Menu who talks about her mission to build an iconic Indian food brand and organization Did you like have a like a plan that okay i want to do a job for a couple of years and then start my own or was it like organic um no i think a few years of job was important because i think uh, we just finished education and you have no real life real world experience and uh, i think it was important to just go out there work and really learn the ropes of doing a business i think after the first so I I had worked for seven years before I bootstrapped a startup and started again. So yeah, I think it needed a few years of experience. Looking behind, I think it was more organic. Um, but yeah, I think it uh, it was sure that you have to build some experience before you jump in. Okay. So where did you join from campus? Um, IBM. Uh, so I had joined as a relationship manager in the IBM sales team in Delhi. And this was like hardcore B two B sales. This was hardcore B two B sales. Yes. selling everything right from a desktop laptop to the IBM software data center services etc so yeah uh, the end to end spectrum with a set of accounts and then you switched into like an fmcg kind of a role so wh- why did you make that switch from b2b to a b2c kind of a thing so the truth is see i uh, for first two and a half years at ibm and uh, the role was going very well i think i learned so much about work life um uh, about sales and really you know standing for your own self uh, in the IBM space but my fear there was that you know for lifelong I'll remain an IT sales person because um at that time I was seeing people around me who were doing that uh, same um, thing for last 10 years 20 years uh, obviously they were handling let's say a different size of account or different size mm-hmm. of business but it was typically mm-hmm. the sales profile and mm-hmm. i think i was kind of a little jittery to imagine myself doing the same thing for all my life so it was more the fear mm-hmm. of being stuck in doing the same thing that i moved out the other mm-hmm. uh, reason why i joined jnj medical was more to do- learn the fmcg style of work which is more mm-hmm. distribution more uh, feet on street and really being on the ground uh and and it was still early years so i really wanted to go through the grind knowing that you know 10 years later i would not do that and uh, what were you doing at jng like uh, what, what was your role there so jng was um this was a division called life scan this is jng medical and life scan um had brought to india a range of blood glucose meters to test blood sugars at home um before this there were no products available like that in india so it was early years uh, we were trying to establish the whole business with you know doctors recommending home testing of sugars patient education 
and uh, setting up the distributor and chemist and merchandise patient education programs was a big part of it so yeah it was a whole hog and we used to cover the ground like you know meet general practitioners meet uh, you know internal medicine doctors meet endo uh, specialists and really you know talk them through that how together we could convince patients to be more uh, you know careful about their sugar monitoring so this was like a proper grind uh, typical fmcg grind like on the uh, on typical the ground fmcg kind of grind 6 days a week uh, 100 kilometers a day on the road meeting uh, the target used to be meet 10 doctors 20 chemists uh, something like that there were sundays which were dedicated to patient education programs uh, two or three days uh, travel outside delhi so it was total grind yeah uh, did you enjoy it though now i feel i enjoyed it that time it was real hard work because <laughs> 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 so the good uh, part uh, about travel is you again the same thing you spend so much time waiting for people or on the road you talk to your team you build again good relationships um i think you see real india so i was covering Delhi, Rajasthan, Punjab. I also covered Jammu, mm. so you get to see a lot of real India on the road. I think a lot of your life experiences are built with that kind of work you do. And uh, your family was okay with like this kind of a role with so much traveling and all. <laughs> I don't think they had a choice. Okay, because typically Marwari families are very conservative when it comes to the daughter. Very conservative. And... People used to ask me, "Tumi, I am me. Jane ke baad the sales ka kam kyu karti ho? Why can't you do like something better, something in office?" They used to think that only you know the less smart people go out on the field. So yeah, it was it it was not easy, but I think they did not have a choice. And then why did you move on? And that also to like a completely different sector again. So that was because my husband uh, had got a great role in Bangalore. He was moving to Bangalore, and uh, I moved along with him. I said I'll go figure out what to do in Bangalore. Uh, when we came to Bangalore, I think around that time, Bangalore was also buzzing with new startup ideas and all of that. So while I did interview with some of the bigger companies, I interviewed with Tutor Vista. It sounded very exciting. It was. Uh, that time rated as the hottest startup around so you know i took it up thinking more as a challenge that i've done mnc for about four and a half years why don't i dig my heels in and you know try something that is the next step to um, maybe starting on my own so yeah i think part of the thinking was that and tutor vista was like a live classes or online live classes kind of a product yes so tutor vista was like a k12 homework help uh, from india so indian teachers t- teaching students in the us um on um, online so it was used to be like a chat whiteboard skype kind of session and what was your role here I did multiple roles here so I started with trying to do B2B sales uh, for the US then I moved on to doing the tutor recruitment part which I think was one of the most uh, interesting things I've done in my career um sitting in Bangalore with like a very small team very low cost we were recruiting you know like hundreds of teachers every month uh, sign up women the kind of work you are doing sign up women who are willing to do part time work online and most of these were early morning sessions or late night because these were mostly us timings so we were convincing them that you know you could really earn an extra income by doing a few hours of work and it's online so you don't need to come out of the house it was targeted to married women women who were doing either caregiving or you know raising children but it it was interesting we hired uh, in a year i think the maximum that we had hired was almost 1000 plus teachers wow 
and you had some sort of a like a training process for them to uh, train them on how to teach and the subject knowledge or you looked at subject knowledge as a prerequisite so part of the subject knowledge is prerequisite depending on the qualification and uh, the test that they used to take up after that there was uh, some training and then on the job you would monitor you know how they are able to cope up with students in the us especially communication um i think a larger issue we faced and most of the students are looking for math help so while you could find a lot of people who are good at math the harder part is the communication the student won't understand what teacher has been saying which is what we used to check for we used to take we introduced a grammar test because the biggest hurdle we faced was in written english people were making massive grammar mistakes and that we were not comfortable with so uh, for math teachers i used to take a grammar test typing test so other other test was that you know and this is 12 years back um, most people were so slow in typing that you will kill the whole interest right like <laughs> very slow so we introduced a typing test people below i think uh, you know um, some number of characters per minute or below were rejected purely because they would be too slow on a session so how is tutor vista doing now i imagine that time this must have been pretty high margin business it was high margin business but uh, the tough part was the cost of marketing was very high because we were marketing for the us so i think uh, no it was it was good from a unit margin point of view but the cost of marketing if you include then um, it it did have a challenge uh, and then after like a fairly longest stint you kind of uh, bit the entrepreneurial bug so so like what happened then Uh, so the good news was Tutor Vista was acquired by Pearson. There was some monetization. We got some money. Um, I was also having a child at that time. Uh, so this is two thousand ten, eleven. I came out of Tutor Vista. I thought it's a good time uh, to take a break. So I started working on an idea, which was um, art for every day. We called it Af Day, and it was more built around the HC in the US, uh, where you could have, let's say, handmade, handcrafted products online. I think the big mistake uh, I made was it was way ahead of its time. Two thousand eleven, people were just getting started with buying books online. So buying handicraft online was like a long shot. So the numbers remained small, and whatever we attempted, see, as an individual, I think I I learned massively about setting up a company, about setting up, you know, website, products, merchandising, uh, selling, shipment. So e-commerce, you we did the whole hog about the e-commerce bit. but the the hard part was numbers were so small and my calling was that you know if it's such a small business i can't keep spending years and years running a very small business in the hope that market would grow at some point of time so uh, how did you fund it like uh, all of this would have costed you know how big was your team like when you set it up we were i think three four people mostly bootstrapped i and my husband had put in some money So we did it for about I think fourteen, fifteen months, and by then we realized that you know it's it's going to remain small. I think at the best month we would have done like you know a couple of lakhs of sale. So we realized that you know it it will not survive without external funding. External funding would need uh, you know people to see numbers moving. So it was chicken and egg, and we decided that it's not worth spending more time on it. We closed it. And how did you meet your husband? Arranged marriage, completely arranged. Okay. 
Okay, but but he was pretty supportive uh, of in, investing in your venture and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been an also he's an investor for life, so he's been working at private equity uh, funds. So ah, I think, uh, okay. Investment is okay. in his blood. So uh, then you moved on to Bluestone, uh, and Bluestone is what like a jewelry commerce. Yes, Bluestone's an online jewelry uh, business. Um, so one big learning out of you know bootstrapping a business and shutting it down. I think as an entrepreneur, you'll have to, uh, you know, build clarity around what you're doing this for, because once you start investing time and money, actually, at times you, you, it's almost like bad money over bad money. Um, so hmm. every few months, you'll have to set up milestones and, you know, check back on that. Is it meeting your milestones? What should you do? And dispassionately also at one day, take a call that, you know, if it needs to close, it needs to close. So yeah, I think that's the hard part. I look back at it and think maybe I should have given it some more time. But I think if you look at the macro part of it, more time, few more months would not have helped it. It would need a few right. more years because after right. that, let's say a business like Jaipur, etc. You know, there are a couple of other people who have built that out. Uh, but it was much later than when we were trying to do. It. And you shut it down like? Uh, did you try and find a buyer for it, or you just like wound up operations and? Yeah, it was so small that, you know, trying to find a buyer for it would have been a futile exercise. The other thing that, you know, personally, I did not have the time because my kid was like small. We started actually after day and Riddhi was born around the same time. So I think it was also a timing issue that I was not able to really move out physically. You needed to be around. Uh, so we were working from home. Um, so it, it all added up. So Bluestone was a fairly short stint. And, and, you know, what was it that you uh, did there? So Bluestone, the role was head of sales. Uh, it was primarily building an offline sales channel for an online jewelry company. Um, so a couple of things that we did were uh, set up a team for home try-on. So let's say online people come visit, you can collect their numbers, etc. They may query on your call center. And then you can offer that, hey, someone would visit you and show you more or help you choose what you need or customize. So this was a, a more offline sales support team that we created. It actually uh, uh, had off the charts numbers in terms of conversion and AOV, etc. So it was doing very well as a program. Then we set up a few guide stores. Um, so what you see today as a Bluestone or Carrot Lane store, it was different from that because these were built with like, dummy sample pieces and not true jewelry like the gold or diamond pieces but it was more to give people an idea that how a design would look like in real they could try it on and then order for what they need and it would be delivered to them so these were like smaller walk-in by appointment kind of centers where people could come and talk to someone who's uh, who understands the catalog who can help them browse help them choose what they need to do assist them in sales so these were a couple of things that we were building around that time. The idea was, you know, online is great for people to discover that an option like this exists. They can browse through a lot of pictures and catalog and decide, you know, what shape, size, amount works for them and then come and make a final decision. So the problem was that 100% online process versus uh, creating an assist model looked like it was way better converting. Right, right. Okay. So online for lead generation and then offline to convert. Yeah, yeah. So even today, if you see both uh, the two two big online jewelry guys, uh, both Bluestone and Carrot Lane, now have stores on high street and malls, etc. Because you need brand building, you need people to walk in, you need them to experience the jewelry, try it on, maybe show it to family, and then jewelry purchase in India is a very 
like a family decision right right so uh, and then uh, you joined ola from uh, after a short stint here so uh, why did you make the move mm, the, the true part is see one i think i had done a startup of my own i was working here and i think there was um, i think there was an alignment issue between me and gorav and i realized that instead of putting in more time where we are not aligned fully it's better that i move on to doing something that i will put my full energy on so that's why a shorter stint um, and then moved on to ola ola also i was uh, running the sales piece and uh, uh, if you remember uh, originally uh, the whole point to point and on demand taxi was not you know what was the biggest thing um, so when i had joined ola used to also have a lot of pre booked airport rides or pre booked um, corporate business um, right. while the point to point taxi was uh, available but you know it was expensive and very few people wanted to take it up hmm. it was hmm. a growing hmm. business um, so corporate look like and before ola or uber were in india there was herds and cars on rent or um the the cab rental business in the corporate was a very big business and a profitable business so there was an intent to build the corporate side of business is and this i'm talking like you know 7 years back okay so you were uh, again doing b2b sales here i was again doing b2b sales here okay and this is where uh, you kind of conceived of fresh menu so so what was that uh, journey yeah, like yeah so i think like, i was seeing startups all around me and uh, the the uh, it it was a buzzing time i think at that time the smartphone uh, penetration was just picking up a lot of apps people were trying to build apps people trying to figure out you know how do we get consumers to tap on a button and create services and obviously uber's a huge inspiration for all the app startups right world over also food there was a lot happening and that's where the whole idea came about that you know we should also think of doing something in food um and and delivery food is looking like the way to go and uh, so you know how did this idea actually become reality like did you quit your job first and work on it or you know like tell me about that journey yeah almost i think once once um, in ola i realized that you know i think um, i needed i had reached a point uh, where i really wanted to go back and build a business uh, where uh, i i really own the whole piece uh, instead of uh, working at a startup so i think i i kind of understood that at my journey is now to go back and create a startup uh, so once the decisions done i think i moved out then next few months we thrashed out the whole idea i think food doing something in food was decided when i moved out of hola but what to do in food and how it would shape up etc uh, took a few months of planning after that okay so when you say we what does that mean okay we means uh, for for this idea i think my husband played a big role in uh, thrashing out the idea also mm-hmm. i went to uh, ganesh and shrini and uh, they supported through the initial uh, capital that is needed to seed the idea and to do proof of concept so we okay. is that so what did you launch it as like like you know what was the initial launch like so you uh, thought that it, i mean at that time the word cloud kitchen of course didn't exist so, so like what did you think you're building like did you think that you're building a restaurant which only does delivery or like so akshay the idea around that time and there were a couple of big pillars around you know how we thought of what would fresh menu do and if you see the choice of name is a very neutral name it is not 
uh, a cuisine name it is not a meal type it's not like a pizza burger or biryani brand it's right. just fresh menu right right so the idea was if we're building something for very long term it has to be flexible because we did not have a hero product at that time see if you take license from a global chain you know what is a hero product and what do you have to do for it but here right. we had to create something from scratch so one the name was a neutral name um it allowed it was built on the peg of fresh which means that you know something that people will believe is good for them and for decades it would be good right it's not it will not go out of fashion it's not something that is like a fad and it will go away in a couple of years so a lot right. of thought went into the name a lot of thought went into the business model decisions like we will start with global cuisine we will start with like premium pricing we are not doing the daily dal roti dabba we're actually doing break the monotony food because we wanted people to come back frequently um and everybody around that time who was trying to do a food startup actually started doing the dal roti kind of business assuming that's the highest frequency player and uh, what has proved out is that you know no consumer will consume from the same company for 20 days in a month um the highest that you can get from a consumer is like 5 to 7 times a month and that's uh, more like you know what what allows me to indulge a bit or what allows me to break the monotony so i think we were on the right track with that decision uh the business model was built on better unit economics we understood the costs better we took lower cost kitchens we set them up behind the scenes because it was going to be delivery and focus on mobile so we we never took phone orders because the temptation could be while the app is being built or you know people how would you convince people to come online let's take phone orders we never took phone orders so i think some of these decisions worked really well for us uh, what we brought on to consumers was something they had never imagined like a a high end restaurant five star kind of quality food and the kind of international menu a menu that was changing daily uh, was brought on to their table and it was super cool okay and uh, so like uh, day one itself uh, you launched with uh, an online ordering platform and uh, customers had to like install an app to place an order devan was a website the website was built on shopify okay and uh, how did you set up the back end i mean you have no experience of running a restaurant so to say so like you know what what was setting up the first kitchen like the setting up a first kitchen uh, that's a very interesting story so the first hire is more interesting um so i started looking for chefs and i contacted quite a few chefs on linkedin and finally the ones that i got to meet they said your idea sounds interesting but if you are really successful then i'll come and join you and i said yeah so i need a chef to become successful <laughs> so it took a couple of months in just figuring out you know how to hire the first chef or you know how do you think about the menu how would you do research so while research a lot of it i could do online etc but it really needed someone to come along and really uh, do the back end you're right i think it was tough uh, so so the story goes that i i posted uh, on like i think quicker or olex that i'm looking for a, a a chef and somebody called me that hey i'm out of job and uh, i want to um, look at the role that you're offering so i called and this person came in we did trials at my home and you know whatever he used to um, so i asked him how much do you uh, what's your salary and he said let's say x so i i immediately <laughs> made it 30% higher and said okay you can start working with me today <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i think you do uh, some of the stuff is very very interesting of how do you start a business 
so while the idea is there but it took um, and after that uh, this guy said that uh, madam ek uh, kitchen banane ke liye to kam se kam 3 mahina lagta hai and i said no no our kitchen will be ready in 10 days so we obviously put a makeshift kitchen together in 10 days and start rolling how did you do the initial uh, customer acquisition like how did people hear that okay i can order food from fresh menu again um, so multiple things happened while we were doing uh, you know uh while the kitchen was getting set up or uh, the site was getting set up we we used to just cook food every day deliver it to some friends office um get people to try for free and then check with them okay what are you liking what are you not liking how much would you pay for it so obviously uh we would really understand you know are they really even going to pay for it or not so a lot of iteration went through that uh, so i think a lot of office sampling is something that got us successful I've personally delivered to a lot of people's homes, offices for their parties. Um, just just try out our food, um, and and that I think really helped us uh, get off the ground more quickly. Um, so corporate kiosk sampling, uh, uh, serving you know whoever was interested, really go to them, show them what we are doing. Uh, invested a lot of time and effort initially on packaging and designing the food that it had to look great on a photograph. it had to be presented in a very colorful manner it has to be very appealing in a box and and i think that's something that um, i think we were very very product focused that helped us a lot that kind of got the word of mouth rolling and yeah and and then i think for food see newspaper inserts uh, did well uh, once we were four five kitchens we started doing some radio and radio helped us a lot because radio was building top of mind uh, you know frequency recall and morning evening if the radio uh, plays and talks about a new food choice a lot of people were coming to try it out then i think the standard coupons etc uh, distributed with the flyers with the newspaper i think that's that's how we initially got customers and uh, so 2014 uh, you started this so what did you end that year at like 14 15 like what kind of revenue did you hit and uh, i i'm assuming it must have been one kitchen only at that time No, so we started, I think, in um, October of two thousand fourteen. By March of two thousand fifteen, we were probably five kitchens, six kitchens, if I'm not wrong. Oh wow! I think we ended okay. the year with like what, three uh, crores of revenue. We ramped up revenue pretty quickly. Hmm, that's yeah, that's amazingly fast. Like from one to five kitchens in a so matter three, of months. So three three like... crores became I think thirty crores next year. Thirty became seventy two crores year after, and then it became I think one twenty crores if I'm not wrong. So I think we ramped up very very quickly. So uh, how, like how did you manage this kind of explosive growth? Like you managed to hire one chef to get your first kitchen up the, from <laughs> one to five. Like you know how how did you manage that? So actually that's a long story. I think it's very hard to recall. You know what all we did to kind of you know one get the kitchen set up, uh, get the staffing done, get the training done. menu innovation on the side the whole delivery piece and trust me 6 years back there was hardly any trained delivery boys for food so we were doing everything end to end sourcing the material costing of the food uh, photographs marketing i think uh, if i if i look back i think there were thousand things that we took on our plate i think i was working 20 hours a day for those 3 years wow. uh, <laughs> so but but in a business like this it's an ops business the engine has to go on 365 days nothing can break down nothing can stop so you we were building tech for it we were recruiting team left right and center 
I think, uh, yeah, it's a very thrilling experience to really go through that, get customer success. People loved what we offered them. Uh, the kind of innovation we were doing was, you know, I think nobody in the market had imagined that there would be a brand that would come and change menu almost daily, would churn out like, you know, 40 new products a month. Um, so, yeah, I think we were working at a breakneck speed. And uh, like you uh, didn't rely on delivery partners. It was like your own team of delivery boys that you built up. Bilkul. So, uh, like, how did the expansion beyond Bangalore happen? Like, when did you start doing that? And uh, how many cities are you in now? So, beyond Bangalore happened after year one. Um, Bombay and Delhi is what, Gurgaon is what we chose to start with, the other two cities. The idea was to, uh, one, prove out that, you know, what works in Bangalore would also prove in the other cities in India. And Bombay and Delhi are both way bigger cities than Bangalore is. So fundamentally, uh, you should expect a lot more scale in those markets compared to Bangalore. While it turned out that Bangalore is a much bigger delivery market uh, for next few years. But yeah, we we entered the other two markets with the size expectation. And uh, what about the funding journey? So initially, you had that seed funding which you raised. And uh, then after that, like, did you raise subsequent rounds? And... Yeah, so we raised money with Lightspeed, uh, 5 million Series A um, in 2015, um, I think, or December of 2014 itself. And uh, we raised Series B in 2016, uh, which was another 17 million. We've raised about 25 million so far. So two rounds of funding. Okay. And so was the uh, funding journey like a... A challenge to overcome being a woman founder and a solo founder you know so so did you find it hard to get investors on board or were your numbers more than enough no i think uh funding is always a, 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 a it's a process and i think uh, apart from you know your work effort numbers or presentation there's there's uh, there are more elements uh to play so i won't say funding was a cakewalk i think funding's been a tough process um, for women, I think naturally, um, women tend to underplay what they are good at, what they're capable of. Their plans are not the most aggressively projected plans. And I think that comes in my way too. Um, I, I learned the hard way to let go of my perfectionism uh, streak because, you know, uh, I think part of my experience with startups has been that you have to scale fast, you have to execute fast. And if you wait for the perfect thing to happen in a business like this, you know, perfection's very hard to achieve. And I could have waited for two more years to have a perfect product to roll out in the market. By then the market would be gone. Somebody else would do it. So I think mm, speed yeah. the market needs uh, some sacrifice and perfection. Um, and, uh, you know, you should be convinced that iteration is the way to go forward. So I think there are learnings on the way, but uh, funding for women, I think, is a tough nut. Why is that? Like, what is the apprehension of, that? Huh, so the part of it is our own apprehensions, our own projection, our own, um, you know, conditioning that, you know, others should notice what we are good at and we will not blow our t- trumpet. Like, you know, this is what I'm good at and this is why you should give me money. We're not the strongest on networking and really doing, uh, you know, um, um, networking for the sake of it uh, and and I think I was too busy just uh, this business needed a lot of time to do the groundwork and it didn't leave a lot of time to do the other stuff that founders should be doing so I think that's a lesson that you know founder will have to really balance out 
what needs to be done for the company inside and what needs to be done from an external management perspective and uh, how did your uh, headcount grow like uh, you know in 2015 what headcount were you at and subsequent years uh, how did that grow 2015 see when we uh, i think we would have grown from like what 100 people to 1000 people in one and a half years so by 16 you were like about 1000 people 16, yeah, 17. I think at at our peak we would have been about fourteen hundred people. And uh, this was like what kind of people? Like how many of these were corporate? How many were in the kitchens and? Corporate was always about max of hundred people, probably below that. Uh, it was mostly uh, people in the kitchens or supporting the kitchen, supervising the kitchens, delivery staff, uh, a lot of delivery network. So it was a combination. Okay. Do you still do delivery yourself, or are you? Because now there are many startups who offer delivery as a service. So. So we still do some of our own. Uh, so there is some dedicated delivery available. We also use third party like Danzo or. Uh, delivery to do part of our deliveries and swiggy and zomato would do their own delivery so yeah now it's quite right. a combination so is it still the same in terms of a menu which changes very frequently because uh, now that your menu would also be listed on swiggy and zomato so uh, you know like how has the business evolved and what is it today now so i think over the years we learned that uh, this uh, whole piece about daily changing menu we we should um, treat it differently so you know customers don't need a daily different menu they basically need new things from time to time so what we did was now it does not change daily uh, but you know every month there are still about 40 new skus that get tried on the platform over the years we've also figured out what works really well for us what combinations people seek what price points are working very well so i think there's a lot of intelligence around the menu flavors photographs um portion sizes offers i think there's lots of inherent learning that we have collected over the time and now uh, we do new dishes with the guardrails around you know what would work in our system uh, what should we offer okay. to customers so i think today it is not a daily changing menu but it keeps getting new stuff all the time and stuff that you know has become a little jaded or you know uh, we we see that numbers are below average we would take it out of the menu maybe a couple of months later refurb it change a bit of flavor um and then bring it back so what are some of the interesting trends you observed about uh, indian food habits uh, you know things which might have surprised you that you discovered uh, on uh, based on the data that you uh, generate on orders and all uh so some interesting tidbits uh see indians always eat food for taste and while whatever else we say i think taste remains paramount um actually till pre covid right now i think the change that we've noticed is people are very very particular about uh the trust and assurance of safety uh over taste so covid has pushed uh, customers to be really really focused on hygiene safety etc around the food or anything from outside for that matter and i think that's a big shift it's a paradigm shift because food otherwise has been an unorganized business where uh, the right. organized players invest you know money and effort to be uh, you know focused on food quality and safety and lot of work behind the scenes while you know the small restaurant operator or um, a small shop uh, could get away with you know doing things um, in not the most scientific way so hmm. i hmm. i think that that's a big change uh, some of the interesting stuff is like you know when we introduced thai on our menu and thai was very hot in india a few years back 
Um, right. You know, everybody used to say, hey, I love Thai on your menu. And I said, my sales are not supporting it. So basically, <laughs> everybody used to talk about eating Thai food, but they were eating it like once in four months or six months. So, okay. <laughs> so some of the stuff is, you know, good to talk about, but not the best to eat regularly. Um, um, the other thing we did, for example, something that has done very well for us is uh, taking, you know, Mexican food to masses, taking teriyaki to masses. I think we've been running a teriyaki wow. chicken rice bowl for the last five years now. And I think we are very, very, uh, you know, well known for it. And I think somebody coined it for me that you've taken teriyaki to masses. And I was like, yeah, that sounds very cool. (laughs) So chicken and rice, I think, is a big staple. I think India loves chicken and rice in any form. So that that we continue to offer in different avatars and that keeps doing well. Deserts, I think indulgences is another big piece that, you know, while we'll all say, nahi, mein meetha nahi khana chata hun, but... uh, I think we all eat sweets. So healthy eating is for ghar ka khana basically. When you order, then you want tasty so, stuff. Healthy eating is also uh, another trend that we picked up around 2017. Uh, we realized that health is not just a buzzword, but people are moving more and more towards, you know, more calorie counted food, healthier looking food, more greens, uh, low carb, high protein. Keto was coming around the corner. Um, we actually the interesting part for us is people always thought that we're healthy food because we showed a lot of green we showed a lot of veggies we did a lot of grilled meats um, I think inherently it was more healthy food than your restaurant food and people believe that you know we serve healthy food in general so it helped us then in 2017 we put a collection called fit and fab and since then it has only been growing in sales uh, as as percentage of our total sales so healthy food is a reality I think it is still much smaller than what we would want it to be. But every year it has been growing. Okay. Is uh, butter chicken the number one selling item? <laughs> <laughs> on on our menu, teriyaki and uh, chicken tikka and uh, I think burrito, Mexican burrito are the highest selling products. Okay. 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 And, uh, and, and the other one that you would not like to believe is like a chocolate cake. Ah, okay. Okay. So uh, do you have like a different menu for uh, different regions? Like would Delhi and Bangalore menu be different? Slightly. So there are some local variations. Uh, some of these are material constraints. Some of these are capability constraints or uh, demand constraints, right? Like people in Delhi, let's say, prefer food a certain way or uh, portion sizes a certain way. So there is local customization for uh, a, a local customization, even at a hyper local area. Okay. So like one outlet in Delhi, like one area in Delhi could have like a slightly different menu. Yes. Yes. And how does Zomato deal with that? Does Zomato serve up a different menu or it shows some items as not available to somebody from that area? So Akshay, we have done a lot of work in building a deep uh, API integration. And I think that allows us to, uh, you know, push a differential menu by location, by restaurant ID, Ah, Uh, including even, uh, you know, at times we've figured out that uh, you could do differential pricing by the city. Uh, depending on, you know, if your costs are higher or uh, something, if you've changed the portion size, etc. So I think that capability is built into this. So uh, you started about the same time as Zomato only, right? No, at the same time as Swiggy. Zomato has been around for much longer. So do you have any regrets that you got more into a, uh, like an actual uh, nuts and bolts business where you're building the product and serving it up as opposed to the platforms which are more of a software play um 
I think a tough question. Um, I don't think I regret what I'm uh, what I chose to do. See, aggregation is a very very different business to do. Uh, what it showed around, uh, you know, six years back when we were really working through the ideas, aggregation was a capital play. Whoever would raise maximum capital is the one who would win. And uh, in India, if you remember, there were a lot of people who started with aggregation, and there's only Swiggy right. and Zomato which are there today. So I think that was also a very tough play, and you could uh, be wiped out very, very soon because uh, the math showed that you would lose money for years together. So I, I don't regret. Yeah, so I don't regret choosing doing a brand because see, the real opportunity in India was that we are short of brands. We don't have national food brands. We don't have listed food brands, and customers are seeking new choices. The food palette was expanding. there was uh, a lot of opportunity to be done in the space so opportunity wise it looked very very exciting yes it's a tougher part like it's it's a more execution like you cook the food you deliver the food you build the menu so yeah it uh, on paper this would look like the tougher thing to do but in india you get rewarded for execution right so uh, do you see yourself as like a the the indian dominoes in a way in in that sense like delivering food uh, a pan india quick and uh, tasty food so see as a business model it is it is different from dominos dominos is a global food brand dominos is a pizza company and they have deep deep expertise in pizza and delivery business so yes there is aspiration to you know do delivery as well as dominos do and the kind of reliability they've built around and the systems and processes they follow um the 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 way they've attracted customers and kept customers loyal so there are a lot of things to learn from dominos and you know aspire to be like them and and there's clearly aspiration to be a market leading brand in india um so yeah there is aspiration but in a lot of ways they're very different from dominos so we would not see ourselves as uh, you know um just doing everything like dominos is going to help us so uh, over the years what have you learned about uh, building a team you know in terms of uh hiring and uh, upskilling people and you know what are some of the lessons that you've learned over there i've learned i think the most lessons in hiring and you come from a recruitment business so i'm <laughs> sure you'll appreciate so, um i think mm-hmm. when you're hiring for startups at at growth stage uh, the kind of speed and the quantum of hiring that you're doing i think one lesson is that you should be prepared to uh, hire fast and if things don't work let go while it does not sound the best way but for the business this probably is the speediest solution um so i i i that is one of my lessons um as a founder you have to be totally invested in recruitment you have to spend a lot of time in recruitment uh while you may believe that you don't have time to do recruitment but without recruitment things don't go ahead and it's a full sales process like and and especially till you are small or till you are unknown you have to do a real hard sales pitch to recruit your first few employees right like why should someone right. join a company which nobody has heard of they don't even know will you survive 6 months 12 months will you be able to pay not pay uh, what quality of work or you know i think it's a full sales process so i think the good part was that i had done sales for long so i i think um, and i had also done recruitment so i think uh, uh-huh. recruitment and meeting the timelines uh, that whole rigmarole around the uh, the process but yeah i think uh, there are a lot of lessons around uh, um, how how resourceful you could be around recruitment you you need to do a mix of you know self hiring use your linkedin use your network 
use agencies, be opportunistic about hiring. At times you have to pay more to do a quicker hiring. So I think that there are lots of nuts and bolts to recruitment. I think it may take a full uh, another session to talk about the whole process. The, um, the thing that I have learned, uh, the other pieces that um, after a year uh, of hiring, you also need to get into a culture setting exercise and then have some filters of, you know, the next set of employees have to meet or be in a certain framework. Otherwise, it becomes very hard to manage the whole show. Um, and, and I think we did go wrong in that piece uh, in the middle. Um, so that's a huge lesson that, you know, just for the sake of completing your hiring, uh, while it works for some amount of time, it does not work forever. Um, culture setting is not a late exercise. It has to be an early exercise in the company. Um, and you need to... Really How do you check for culture fitment? Culture? Like, okay, for what, example, yeah. um, Akshay, for example, where I went wrong in recruitment is, depending on the past achievement of a person, you look, you, you bring them on and... Uh, they are they've worked at a level different than where this startup is let's say somebody has worked at a much bigger company and they've delivered something as a growth there but you are now where they were six years back and you realize it while you know in the interview they say yes yes i would love the startup piece and i would love the excitement but they're not willing to roll up their sleeves and work at the stage where we are so i think that that is partly where we went wrong and that's something that you know we should do more check on of what's your stage what would be exact uh, the kind of work that you would need to do and are people ready to do that uh, the other is people there's some people who don't scale up with the organization's growth for example the early employees feel uh, left out when uh, you start hiring a lot of other employees or you start hiring a different level of profile uh, depending on the funding or depending on the size that you're aiming for so i think there is also an expectation mismatch between old employees and new employees. And um, I think in a large people organization, it does get hard. Mm, like, like people earlier reporting to you would now report to somebody else who reports to you. So, so that would be a difficult thing for them to adjust to. True, true. Okay. So, uh, you know, like you said, you're an operations heavy business and which basically is like about having people who run those operations well. So do you have like a, you know, my first job was at McDonald's and uh, I joined when I was like 18 over there. I was doing this along with college just to earn pocket money and I wanted to buy a, a two-wheeler to go to college instead of taking the bus every day. But uh, their onboarding induction process was phenomenal. Like you literally, they would take an idiot off the street and train him to become a crew member at McDonald's. So do you have like that kind of an approach in your operations team, you know, how you hire and how you upskill them? Like, do you look for just some basics and then train them on the rest or, you know, how, how do you do that part of it? So Akshay, um, I think that that's a very good question. And this is something that these uh, companies do very, very well, both Domino's, McDonald's, uh, um, and especially with their global processes and then how they've optimized it for India. I think they're very good at this whole setup of taking an employee, getting them up to speed, following the process, come what may. The SOPs are very, very strong. And hmm. as a yeah, young they, company... They've, they've, yeah. This is idiot proof, basically. Yeah. So as a young company, I think it was uh, it was not possible for us to have nailed everything. And we were doing things differently. It was not like an exact replica of a Domino's store or a McDonald's store. What we did was we, we obviously uh, uh, 
resourceful hiring, right? We hired a few of the Domino's and McDonald's or KFC store managers and brought in some of their practices into our system. And that's how part of the SOPs got developed. Um, then we went and spent time in um, having, for example, some experts and some consultants come in and really, uh, you know, help us with the process mapping with, you know, what could go wrong, how to nail uh, the problems, how to reduce your error rates. So I think you have to do the whole thing, but no company. And even today, I think we've been, we are six years old. And I think today also there's a lot that needs to be done better, that needs to be done more smartly. Um, and then I think it's a continuous process. But initially, I think the easy part is, you know, people who do it very well, you take off them and you learn from them. So I have no shame in saying that, you know, I, I kind of used what is a trained resource in the market and started with that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, the that's the way to learn, like from, from best practices. So, so by the way, now, now the thing is that anybody who wants to do a cloud kitchen business would want to hire from fresh menu because I think... Uh, mm generally our training or our processes have worked much better and and we know that you know uh, people get calls and say just come and join us they don't even want to interview so have you like uh, made it idiot proof like you can literally hire anyone and make them a operations team member like has it reached that level no no it it will get there i think it's still a few years away uh, but it it is much um, much less skill dependent than it was let's say even 2 years back so do you see the way ahead as uh, more automation? You know, for example, I saw that uh, Chaios now, uh, they've stopped doing manual tea making and they've got a tea making machine there which makes the tea based on whatever customization you select. And uh, so that dispenses the exact amount of milk and water and all that. So, so is that the way you're seeing yourself going also? Like, you know, how do you see technology changing the food business? Um, very interesting. I think, see, technology uh, has changed a lot in the food business in the last six years. Uh, though so far, I think the changes are more around the whole delivery piece or kitchen operations piece or the efficiency piece of it. I think the future holds uh, that as volumes improve, you can actually get in more automated equipment. You can do some of the cooking processes that you do manually. You can get machines to do it or you could get suppliers to do a part of your work and you do the final value add or finishing see i think the crux right. of this is you have to stand true to what you've offered a customer for example we've told customers that we're not adding preservatives to your food we are not microwaving your food it is not dumb food this is this is the healthier fresher tastier food that you could get in 30 minutes which means we have to do the last mile effort. We have to do the value addition for them. We have to bring them unique flavors. We have to bring them new combinations that others are not offering. So I think fundamentally, you'll have to stay true to why customers come to you. And after that, whatever you can do to ease your process, to dumb it down, to uh, make it easier for the customer, to make it faster for the customer, to make it tastier for the customer, you will obviously do that. Um, so it all does not happen in one day. The story of big data on food is still to play out because the data is still not big enough. Uh, but mm, yeah, right, I think right. you, you you will, over the years, we have collected a lot of intelligence and over coming few years, I think it will keep getting more intelligent. And as volumes change, you can, you will really plug and play better equipment, uh, more automation, more uh, forecasting to improve, you know, food execution. But I think, 
saying that it will be idiot proof it will be uh, made by a machine and therefore it will become idiot proof i don't think that's the way hmm. we have adopted but largely you're saying that uh, how technology would change would be better data which would allow you to build better models and uh, reduce wastage decide what is the best way to do stuff and you know that's how you see like like data would power the tech transformation right. uh, so no so there will be other things so there could be you know system level wastage management there could be system level qc products there could be more technology more camera more uh, you know algorithm in calculation uh, of you know when should people expect a surge of orders how fast they should prepare and work all i'm trying to say is we are a food company we believe that you know people come to us because we offer them the best food possible in their local area and therefore that cannot be compromised right right hmm. so uh, how has uh, covid been for fresh menu covid has been very very tough uh, i think world over food businesses uh, have seen the mass maximum disruption in like a century right nobody ever thought in food you know even in a recession year it'll go down like 5% 10% food businesses don't shrink to like 20% of their size and uh, i think in india with the with the severe lockdown that we had uh, food businesses uh, had to like completely shut down delivery businesses were on we were on but it took us a while to adjust to uh, you know the lockdown and the changes that were needed the new process safety um you know customers had become super scared so for first 3 months 4 months there was nothing really moving for the business and you know you had to take care of people you had to take care of suppliers you had to think about safety you had to think about really surviving in this year and i think talking on like uh, 22nd december i'm very proud that we've survived the year so mm, right i i i think mm. surviving this year is like growing two times so mm-hmm. we i think we've done well uh, for the kind of hardships we had to face um everybody chipped in and and i think mm-hmm. uh, this year has taught so much about resilience about uh, building mental capacity um we we've done some bold things we've changed a lot of processes internally i think the downtime really helped a business like ours because we could do mm-hmm. some of the reset that was waiting because you know since we were running we didn't want to touch and make wholesale changes but right now i think we've done wholesale changes what kind of wholesale changes like give me some examples um so wholesale changes for example in in the way we would treat uh, the manpower or staffing in a kitchen and see covid pushed us to work with uh, lesser people in kitchens more distancing okay uh, so we we've done you know big menu iteration on you know how the menu could still be delivered with lesser people how could we offer the same quality and same speed with lesser people So I think there've been some big changes on the menu there've been some big changes on the cooking process in the timing and the the metrics process and and all this while while maintaining safety and and bringing safety to the top of mind for everyone in the system so I think there've been some big changes do you also have like uh, service restaurants or is it only kitchens we we don't have service restaurants we used to have one at the airport uh, it was done as a brand store but that's close now so that way you kind of got spared from the worst of it because i think the worst hit are like the actual service restaurants yep yep hmm okay so uh, what kind of uh, revenue uh, are you currently at like last year what did you close at if you are at liberty to say 
Um, it, it's still not public yet, so I, I would uh, wait for that to go public. But right now, compared to pre-COVID times, we are at about somewhere between 60 to 70% of pre-COVID numbers. I expect uh, post-March to get back to the full uh, pre-COVID number. And post that, I think we expect, we're actually optimistic that we would do even better than before. Uh, purely because I think delivery foods, uh, um, I think we've penetrated more homes. We used to be 70% office business. And today, if we are back at 70% of our old business without offices being open, without colleges and wow. hostels being open, mm -hmm. I think we have penetrated more homes. So I'm quite confident that, you know, as uh, and when we get to normalcy where, you know, schools and colleges could open when people are getting back to work, uh, uh, when all these big offices and tech parks open, I think we, we probably would grow uh, a lot more. Okay. Do you also have like bulk deals, like uh, providing meals to employees of a company instead of them having an in-house canteen, so that kind of uh, stuff? Yeah, so we've done that for um, more small-sized companies where let's say you're 30 to 50 employees uh, because caterers don't serve that kind of requirement. And uh, right. we also don't have to then customize anything. Uh, we, we use our single serve meals and offer them choices and they could change the choices regularly. Um, so that's the kind of business we were looking at uh, before COVID. Right now, we are talking to people to see that we could get into uh, more packed meals as offices open. Uh, we've also been getting some inbound queries about people saying that now we will not have the buffet cafeteria. Uh, we can't allow right. people to, you know, sit and chit chat in the cafeteria, which means packed food in office is a reality uh, that is going to be served. And uh, people like us are the best suited to serve that demand. Right, right. So uh, what is uh, your uh, personal uh, journey like that you see in the next couple of years? You know, like what is it that you personally want to learn and discover which makes you more effective at work or whatever. But, you know, at a at a personal level, what is it that you are seeking? Mm -hmm. It's a tough question, Akshay. <laughs> personal journey, see, I think we've last, and this year has been a very tough year to manage. I think personally, I would, uh, I would spend some time rewiring the way I would think or I would work because I think... Uh, uh, last six years as a as an entrepreneur as a CEO I think uh, it's taking a toll on your learning ability or openness to you know change and I think I, I kind of recognize that so that's something that I would spend time and effort doing on uh, because I guess uh, over the years and you've got set in your ways and I think right now I'm, I'm really thinking hard that you know how do I change or how do I uh, in some sense become unpredictable uh, because the predictable path's now done for quite a few years. So I think there's going to be some personal change, some resetting. Uh, I turned 40 last year. I think a part of it is also the age clock. So I, I think personal fitness has become a much bigger priority. So um, I, I think there's there's going to be change on the personal front. And I think self-learning, which which kind of stops when, when you're too busy in your day-to-day -day work. So I think I'll, I'll pick up some of that again. Uh, from a business point of view, I think we, we're really um, uh, roaring to figure out how do we become 10x from here. So I, I think that that's going to keep us busy. Okay. So what do you think will make you 10x? See, I think we... And we are... in how many years do you <laughs> think that See, actually, you will become 10x? Uh, honestly, in a business like this, we could become 10x in um, 
in probably three to five years. And I'm saying that because we've spent the last six years nailing the business model. I think I think we've done uh, so much work and effort in in really optimizing uh, on both, you know, uh, the kind of menu that we could offer, the way we execute it, and the kitchen economics. I think today we are hundred percent sure that we can take it ten x from here. We could be in like the next ten fifteen cities in India and really scale out fresh menu, become a national brand, become a big brand, leading food brand in India. Um, and and I don't think I have a doubt about the economics and about the success potential that we have now. So we we've gone through our tough years. We've had our learning. We have done the hard work about optimizing economics, about optimizing experience, and I think today we feel we are prepared. And and dealing with COVID, I think there's there's more faith that we could uh, deal with anything. Hmm. Okay. Are you looking at a fresh fundraise or we're looking at uh, like, a fresh you know, fundraise you... right now? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. yeah. To power the 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 growth to ten x basically to invest more in branding, I'm assuming. Invest more in branding. Invest more in opening the kitchens. Uh, opening more footprint, more cities. Yeah. And uh, how is the investor appetite like? I mean, uh, do you see investors being as optimistic about food tech and India both, or like you know, what do you see there? I think early days, I see optimism come back because uh, delivery food is here to stay. Is what I think a lot of people understand. Cloud kitchen is the best way to serve delivery. Demand is also understood now. So I think now it's about betting on. um businesses and brands that really understand you know that they could really follow this up there are people who are already engaging and i feel like there is cautious optimism about the uh, the business that we are in so i i feel like next few months uh, we should be able to uh, close around so you are also an angel investor i think you've done a couple of investments so what is your thesis as an angel investor like do you have a thesis or is just mostly like friends and family or kind of No, no thesis support. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it it was just because you know there was something that I really liked, and uh, uh, there's also people that I know well. So no thesis yet as an angel investor. Okay, but is that something you enjoy? Like, do you want to do more of it, or it's just occasionally if somebody uh, like needs a helping hand or as a way to give back, or like what's the? Yeah, I I would remain a passive uh, investor. I think. um i'm i'm really thinking that next year i could help a couple of women entrepreneurs uh, take their journey forward i i kind of understand that it is tougher for women so i think a part of the priority would be to focus on women entrepreneurs mm-hmm. right yeah yeah that's true so you know one of our concerns at the show has always been to have a good gender mix and we struggle just because there are so many more male founders than female founders so yeah So that was Rashmi talking about her journey and learnings in the world of food tech. And if this episode has left you hungry, then do check out their yummy meals on freshmenu.com. You like the Founder Thesis podcast? Then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit the podium.in. That is T H E. p o d i u n dot i n for a complete list of all our shows.